On the last episode of Toblenhawk, listeners followed Cordelia and Thea along the banks of the Tamuka River, past the Cinchona soldier encampment on the north end of the Tamuka Plains, and over to the waters of the confluence, where a funny little creature named Mancha led them straight to the supply cabin they were seeking, and straight to their mother, Helena. After rejoicing at their good fortune and recapping their adventures, Helena, Cordelia, and Thea began to formulate a bit of a plan as to how they might best help Queen Alessa and her family, overthrow Gideon, and in the meantime, rescue both their father and Gideon's ill-fated wife, Anna. Not necessarily in that order. Time, it turns out, is of the essence. Gideon's master plan has the potential to destroy all of Toblenhawk, and the only ones who realize that are either incarcerated, in exile, or, as fate would have it, teenage siblings from another land. As the last chapter drew to a close, listeners were given three choices as to how the story should proceed. Did you want to, one, follow Thea, Cordelia, and Helena up the Cinchona Mountains to place supplies at the base of the Three Sisters Mountains and continue helping their father? Or, two, travel to the Tamuka Plains to hear how Devlin and Barrett are faring at the Warwick House? Or, three, take to the high seas to follow Cullen and Leith as they set sail for the northern islands and into the eastern side of the Cinchona Mountains? After all, Each of the siblings has a key role to play if things are going to work out in their favor. As the charms know, the fate of Toblenhawk rests on their shoulders. Welcome to Toblenhawk, a Twisted River Publishing original. Every new episode brings you stories from this magical land of elves, as seen through the eyes of our heroic quartet, Cullen, Cordelia, Thea, and Devlin. The siblings daringly, and sometimes foolishly, progress through each chapter of the fantasy adventure, facing menacing creatures, wicked elven queens, and their own inner demons on the quest for truth, unity, and unwavering loyalty. I'm Hillary, your host, and you can find episodes of Toblenhawk for free on Spotify simply by typing Toblenhawk into the search bar. By clicking the follow option, you can receive notification as soon as the next episode is released. That's when your input comes in. That's right, you'll want to stay up to date because at the end of each episode, our listeners will be determining the characters' next moves. Send your votes directly to us through the Spotify poll or by emailing toblinhawk at gmail.com. After the polls close, our writers will tally your votes and follow your lead. Tune in to the next episode for new twists and turns, all based on what you, the listener, thinks should happen. After tallying the votes from the previous episode, it seems that listeners have faith in the fact that Cordelia and Thea are in good hands, and interests have turned to their older brother Cullen. At the end of the voting, our writers were asked to turn their attention to Cullen and Leith as they take to the high seas on the St. Helena, the shipwrecked schooner that their father brought into Toblenhawk from the South Atlantic, restoring it to its full glory and equipping it with deeply rooted elven magic. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. 
let's head to the Tobermory Harbor to check in on Cullen and his uncle Leith. Here we go with option three in chapter 15. Chapter 15, Fire on the Water. The inside of the ship chandlery in Tobermory Harbor was filled with a magic all its own. The walls and shelves were meticulously carved and polished, lined with boat supplies, all organized in such a way that chandlers could provide services and goods to sailors in a very short time. Sailcloth, rope and cordage, varnish, tallow, rosin, axes, hammers, chisels and planes, marlin spikes, boat hooks, galley supplies, leather goods, and cleaning tools filled the chandlery to its capacity with such precise organization that even the most high-ranking naval officer would fall short of finding flaw. In the far corner of the building, Cullen and Leith quietly pored over the maps and charts of Mori Kwan with the intention of navigating their way to the north end of the Cinchona mountain range, mooring off the coast, then making their way to the Cinchona dungeons from that angle, the least expected and least guarded route to the realm of the mountain elves. Satisfied with his course, Leith lifted his head and nodded solemnly at Cullen, who leaned back in his high-backed wooden chair. Most of Cullen's sailing knowledge came from his mother, who'd taught him everything his father had taught her. He could find the wind. He could rig a boat. He could recover from a capsized vessel, although the question of how well the techniques transferred from a day sailor to a schooner pulled Cullen's nerves as tight as a mainsheet running in a twenty-knot wind. It's just the two of us going? Cullen was aware enough to recognize the fact that the sails alone would require more than himself and his uncle when furling or unfurling quickly. Leith nodded slowly and pulled the pencil from behind his ear, setting it carefully on the table near the charts. Gizmet's rhymes talked about a traitor. Just can't risk it. No telling who that might be. We may not have even met him yet, or her. Hard to say. His eyes scanned the dimly lit chandlery, eyeing up every single unsuspecting, and likely uncaring, customer in their midst, questioning their intentions and scowling all the while. Are you a captain? Do you know what you're doing? Cullen couldn't think of any other way to phrase his anxiety, so he just put it bluntly. At least Leith would be clear about his trepidation from the start. Leith laughed aloud. A captain? No, no. That's your dad. He's the captain. Me? I'm the cook. This did little to help Cullen's nerves. But your dad and I, we sailed the St. Helena ourselves many times. I know how she handles. Well, we did have your mom with us. McKinnon's first mate. Leith furrowed his brow. Hmm, yeah. That was good to have her aboard as well, though she did say my biscuits were dry. <laughs> His voice trailed off into the mahogany-colored walls of the chandlery. The cook? Leith turned his head pointedly, raising his eyebrows at the doubt in Cullen's tone. There are portions of my role aboard that ship that outweigh even those of the captain's. 
Leith waited a moment for his words to sink in, though Cullen had clearly forgotten the lesson presented by Kismet, the unruly charm. Listen and pay attention. Cullen politely waited for this seemingly poignant moment to be given appropriate time to ponder, then pushed aside any anxiety or question and asked eagerly, Is it time? Can we row out to the ship? The St. Helena dinghy sat quietly tied to the docks, waiting for her captain to return. Leith had faithfully kept watch over the ship, keeping a logbook for McKinnon to record each inspection, only questioning when his brother's return might be, never if. Leith cleared his throat and nodded slightly. Cullen sprang from his seat in the corner of the chandlery, grabbed his father's old sea bag, and led his uncle past the neatly placed rows of tools, cloth, and oils, out the door and onto the Tobermory docks. The waters sparkled in the bright morning sunlight, and Cullen kept his eyes disciplined as he rowed, despite the mermaids flitting past in the dancing waters. Both masts were very nearly the same height on the St. Helena, the main mast only taller by a matter of millimeters. Although McKinnon had elicited the powers of elven magic to repair the cracked mast, he was not foolish enough to overlook the importance of placing a thin gold coin into the newly repaired mast before completing his handiwork. Incidentally, while sailors in our lands are not clear on how that particular bit of sea lore came into being, McKinnon's Moray ancestors almost certainly brought it into tradition. One only has to dive a mile down in the Black Sea off the coast of Bulgaria to find an elven ship there, thus illustrating the point, but no need to digress any further. Instead, credit for the ritual of good fortune in sailors will likely remain with the Roman Empire, as so many things do. Bridges, for example. Elven, not Roman. The secret to cooking on a ship. Leith stood proudly in the St. Helena galley, the last part of Cullen's tour aboard the schooner. The secret is in the spices. Take your basic rice, for example, with a little dash of this. It's a nitrarian dish with a lot of desert heat. A little dash of that, and it's a Mishan flavor. Not so spicy, but filled with the perfect hearty blend. Cullen ran his hands along the impeccably carved wooden framing in the schooner's kitchen area, intrigued by the precision and impressed with the quality craftsmanship. Leith watched his young nephew take it all in, recognizing that Cullen had no way of knowing which parts of the ship his father had restored, which part his mother had brought aboard. He glanced at the cook stove, then back at the ship's new second mate. Come on over here a minute. Leith motioned for Cullen to join him around the trestle table. Bring that old sea bag of yours with you. Cullen handed the bag to his uncle, who carefully pulled the contents from within and placed things on the tabletop, one by one. There are a couple things missing, Cullen chimed in quickly, for some reason feeling a need to explain himself to his father's brother. Cordelia has one with her. It's a jade pendant of some sort from the Tamuka region. Leith's eyebrows raised and he nodded slightly. That's your dad's mania, he said simply, as if this was helpful information. It offers protection. There are only a few of them in existence, 
the elder Timuka queen commissioned to have them made back, well, a long time ago. So your sister is wearing it. That's good. That's good. Leith's attention turned to the scroll he pulled from the sea bag. Ah, the incantation. You certainly figured this out quickly. Well, first I thought that Cornelius, the garden gnome, I thought he was the one bringing us into Toblenhawk. It wasn't until later that I learned about the gemstones and that those are the words that combine with the gemstones. Garden gnomes. Hard to know when to trust them. Most of them are a bit on the cagey side. Thea has the water bag, which is kind of funny, really, because she was so grossed out by it at first. Cullen's words were cut short as Leith pulled the knife in its sheath from the depths of the sea bag. Ah, he said softly, running his fingers along the crafted leather before looking up at Cullen. The skin do. This belonged to my grandfather, our grandfather, nothing stronger than a blade forged by elves. I haven't used it yet. It seemed like it was meant for something special. Hmm. Nothing special. It's for everyday use, eating, cutting up fruits. You wear it in your sock. He leaned and slid the knife in its sheath into his well-worn hand-knit sock. It is for protection, too. Comes in handy when you're in a bind, you know? Leith demonstrated by whipping the knife from its sheath, twirling it over its fingertips, and grasping it firmly in what would be a rather menacing stance given different circumstances. Cullen blinked, then blinked again, at a loss for what he could possibly say at this moment. Leith's posture eased, and he ran his thumb and forefinger over the blade, presumably checking its sharpness. The black knife. He smiled to himself with a rather nostalgic curve to his lips. He drew in his breath quickly and placed the knife to the side, reaching into the bag once more. Leith dismissed the funny little flute Barrett had called a neigh, setting it next to the scroll and knife, then searched purposefully for the last item within. The earthen pot with little nubs and a lid appeared, and Leith cradled it in his large hands almost affectionately. This, his words were quiet, but powerful. This is what we will need. Cullen furrowed his brow. What exactly is it? Leith pulled a bench from below the table and sat down, turning the little pot over and over in his hands, contemplating. Do you remember Kismet's rhyme? Did you listen? Did you pay attention? Leith's tone was both solemn and expectant. Fortunately, for his sake, Cullen had paid attention. He'd memorized the whole thing, chanting it over and over in his mind until it had been committed to memory. His only answer to Leith's question was a vigorous nod. Good, good. Leith set the pot down on its little nubbed legs and carefully replaced its lid. This is made with Meechan magic. It belongs to your mother's family. You've heard the tales of Gideon's destruction. He led his men through the Meechan region and ravaged everything in sight. From there, they moved up to the pillars at the festival grounds. McKinnon and Helena had recently been married there. And Helena, your mother, created an eternal flame with her magic. 
She placed that flame in the center of the pillars as a gesture to all of Toblenhawk. Not only was she now united to my brother, the symbolism of that flame was a gift to the elves throughout the land. Peace, prosperity, the magic of the flame, as the Mechans use it, is used to create, to heal, to sustain life. It is used to bring goodness. It is the very illustration of each of the four pillars. Leith paused and studied Cullen's face for a moment. That same magic, when used improperly, causes harm, death, and destruction. Leith reached into the bowl on the table and pulled a piece of fruit from the pile, using the black knife to peel it rather nonchalantly as he continued his story. Gideon loathed the symbolism behind the eternal flame, and he wreaked havoc on the entire creation amid the pillars. Helena tried to stop him, but he nearly killed her when she did. Cullen's eyes widened as he tried to picture his mother fighting in vain amid the magical flames. Leith lifted the little pot with both hands, slowly, carefully. This little piece of Mishan clay carried the last of the flame to its safety. It's a fire pot. Helena may have lost the battle that day, nearly lost her life, but she saved her magical eternal flame in here and brought it to safety. Leith smiled and lifted the lid, peering into the blackened, empty vessel. But where is it, then? Is it gone? The pot is empty. Cullen's voice filled with panic. Had he done something to extinguish the flame inadvertently during his travels with the sea bag? Leith's eyes danced with excitement as he eased Cullen's anxiety. He pushed himself away from the table and strode across the galley. No, no. Helena carried the flame with this. Cullen's head tilted and his eyes narrowed. He didn't understand. Leith threw open the door of the ship's cookstove with pride and triumph, revealing a small but bright ball of fire within the belly of the stove. He winked at Cullen, then snapped the door shut with the swinging lock handle. I told you, never underestimate the importance of the ship's cook. Cullen laughed aloud and picked up the fire pot, examining it thoroughly before setting it back down. What does this— Leith cut him off— have to do with Kismet's rhyme? A silence filled the room. Think, Cullen. Think. Cullen repeated the charm's words over and over again in his mind, sometimes speaking aloud, sometimes stopping completely, but in the end he simply shook his head and looked at Leith imploringly. I, I don't, I, I don't know. Together with the heart? Yes, yes, together with the heart. The eternal flame is the heart of everything. It is the heart of Toblenhawk. It is the heart of your parents' marriage. Leith's excitement was barely contained. Cullen's heart nearly leapt out of his chest. La Jolla stays apart, but together with the heart. Go find your majesty, then set the best free... So, keep the jewels divided like they have been, but take the flame to Mom so she can get into the dungeons? Cullen was beyond elated at the revelations, though he stopped short for one split second. Wait, is Mom going to burn the Cinchona region to the ground? 
His eyes widened. Leith's laugh was hearty and loud. No, no, the magic of the flame doesn't work like that. It's much more subtle. Though now that you mention it, it's not a bad plan. To Cullen's look of shock, Leith laughed again. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. His tone shifted into one of authority. All right, mate. Time to stop swinging the lamp. We're outward bound. At that moment, every dream from Cullen's childhood came true. Nearly every adventure-filled wish was answered. As the anchors were hoisted, the dinghy was stowed, the sails unfurled, and the great two-masted schooner slowly turned to take in the wind, with its captain's brother at the helm and his son manning the rails. The St. Helena was on her first voyage since her captain had been taken prisoner so many years before, with the purpose of that voyage to bring him back home. Sea spray from the bow washed aboard as she headed mightily through the waves, and Cullen Kirkpatrick wiped salty water and salty tears from his face as he worked to temper the fire burning through his veins at the enormity of the task in front of him, coupled with the thrill of the waters coursing below him. The northern islands were a long day's journey up the coast of Toblenhawk. Cullen and Leith planned to moor between the islands and the mainland under the light of the moon. The northwest entry into the Cinchona mountain range would be the least assuming way to approach the Palace of the Running Waters and the dungeons themselves. Leith took care along the way to point out the beauty of Toblenhawk otherwise unknown, sights only accessible from the vantage point of the Quan. Just below Cullen Point, etched into the sheer rock walls just over the water, were ancient elven rock carvings, the largest of which was a great face with piercing eyes and a long, whiskered nose peering over the waves at ships passing by. Leith made little comment as the St. Helena slowed for Cullen's sake, but watched as his nephew's awestruck face took it all in. Further up the coast, Leith pointed to the Tidal Falls, a gorge carved out by the Quan's tidal flow. Entry into the gorge was only possible with a small craft, and only during certain parts of the day. Cullen's breath was taken away at the sight of the ebbing water pouring over the edge of the gorge, warning sailors to steer clear until the waters ran still once more. The St. Helena's mooring spot was not reached until well after darkness had fallen over the Quan. The full moon illuminated the northern islands on the starboard side of the ship, and on the mainland, Cullen caught sight of the small seaside town of Aegea, only accessible by boat or by foot travelers through the great mountain range. No roads came within miles of the town of Aegea, no goods came in by any means other than ships from the port of Tobermory. It was a very small population of elves who relied solely on the land and the sea for their existence. Creature comforts were an extravagance. Outsiders were greeted kindly, but viewed with suspicion. The names I sent ahead to the guards are Castor and Pollux. Leith dropped the portside anchor into the shallows. Cullen's interest was piqued. Why not our own names? Leith kept working with the Cunningham, furling one sail at a time. You're a bit of a legend in this land, has no one told you? You and your brother and sisters? A legend? 
Colin would like to pretend that this particular title did not sound enticing, but he just couldn't quite squelch his ego on this one. Yep, Leith coiled the lines. First of all, no one really knows if you're real. Everyone's heard of the Moray Meechan Union, the children born with the magic of two regions. But no one knew if it was just a story or if you really existed. Leith stopped his work and fixed his gaze on Cullen. And if you did exist, would you bring an end to the wars or would you just cause more? A silence followed while Cullen mulled this over. Either way, Leith finally continued, I would say that your status as belonging to two royal families does not prevent you from doing your share of work aboard your father's ship. He tossed a heavy line to Cullen and demonstrated how to properly coil. Cullen's sense of self-importance balanced itself out once more, and he turned his attention to the St. Helena's needs. Just keep a low profile, Leith advised, and there won't be any trouble. We'll row ashore at first light, make a few trades for mountain supplies, then we'll be on our way. Simple. And Leith's nearly flawless plan was just that. Simple. As the morning sun crept over the eastern horizon and the Mori Kwan sparkled in its light, Leith and Cullen carefully opened the cook stove and placed Helena's magical flame into the Meechan firepot. It would take a great amount of care to travel through the mountains with such fragile and crucial cargo, but it was imperative to the success of their plan. Leith and Cullen, or Castor and Pollux as far as the Aegea guards knew, rode into the tiny harbor with Timuka grain and Nitrarian gold, both of which were rare and coveted in this isolated little seaside burg. Neither of them had any way of knowing that high above the town, perched on a granite outcropping, a small, hooded figure sat with a scope fixed upon them, watching as the pair of elves docked their dinghy, following their trail as they entered and exited various buildings on the coast, trading for mountain gear and readying themselves for a long journey into the treacherous Cinchona Mountains. Only when the uncle and his nephew disappeared from the stranger's sight, finding the trailhead at the base of the mountain in the thick of the forest, did the dark figure pocket his scope and turn to the west, hopping spryly from rock to rock on his way toward the Palace of the Running Waters. It is here that we leave Cullen and Leith to begin their journey into the heart of the Cinchona Mountains, and here that we ask you, the listeners, which siblings you would like to follow next. Would you, one, like to rejoin Thea, Cordelia, and Helena in the western Cinchonas as they place supplies at the base of the Three Sisters Mountains and continue on helping their father? Or two, travel to the Tamuka Plains to hear how Devlin and Barrett are faring at the Warwick House? Or three, would you like to continue following Leith and Cullen as they head toward the Palace of the Running Waters and to the dungeons where McKinnon and Anna await reinforcements? A couple of things here. First, remember, if you're enjoying our story, please take some time to give us a five-star review on Spotify. Second, if you'd like to study a rough map of the land and find some pictures of the different elven regions in Toblenhawk, visit our ever-changing, somewhat under-construction website at toblenhawk.com to check it out. Finally, as always, if you're listening on Spotify, simply click your choice on the episode poll to let our writers know which path to follow. Or you can go old school and send a quick email with your vote 
and some comments to toblinhawk at gmail.com. Votes will be tallied for the next week, and you have to give our writers a hot minute to follow your lead. Then, you'll want to stay tuned for the next episode of Toblinhawk. Hawk.